The following message, entitled The Supreme One, Part 2 of the series Christ Above All, was given by Mark Altrogi on the 19th of August, 2012 at Sovereign Grace Church of Indiana, Pennsylvania. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. All right, good morning, everybody. For those of you who I have not had a chance to meet yet, my name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here, and I will be back in the guest reception today. So if you have the time, if you can stick around, love to have you come back and uh, have the opportunity to meet you and have you meet some folks in the church as well. Well, please turn to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Colossians 1:15. If you don't know where it is, it's after Philippians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. General Electric Power Company. That's how I find it. Hey, I need all the help I can get. Colossians chapter 1. And as you're turning there, I want to ask you a question. Is Jesus just another religious leader along with Buddha, Muhammad, and Confucius? Or perhaps is Jesus the opposite and equal of Satan? Sort of like yin-yang. Or is Jesus the first created God as the Jehovah's Witnesses teach? Or was Jesus simply a good man and a great teacher? Or, or a prophet? There is no more important question in the whole world than this. Who is Jesus? And what did He do? And what should I do about it? Those are the three most important questions that everyone in this life should answer. Your whole eternity. Your whole eternity. Millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of ages will depend on how you answer this. Who is Jesus? What did He do? And what should I do about it? And in Colossians, Paul seeks to lay it out for us. Christ is God above all, supreme over creation, supreme over His church. And what did He do? He reconciled us who were estranged from God to Himself. And we'll, we'll look at this this morning. And what should we do? We should hold fast to Him, to Jesus, to the good news of all that God has done for us through Jesus all the days of our lives and not shift from this hope. Not change. Not change our hope or shift or let go of it. So we're going to read verses 15-23. through 23. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. That in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, 
whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the Gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Let's pray. Lord, this passage is so jam-packed with truth. Lord, apart from Your Spirit, we couldn't even begin to get a grasp on it. So help us. Holy Spirit, come. Help us. Open the eyes of our hearts. Open our minds to understand Your Word. And Lord, may we not only understand it, but help us respond to it with worship and love for You and faithfulness to You. And faith and trust in You, Lord. Help us. We need Your help. But Lord, thank You that You love us. Thank You that You care about us. Thank You that You want us to understand this. And so we trust and believe that You're going to help us, Lord. You will open our minds to understand Your Word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus is supreme. Our title of this series on Colossians is Christ Above All. And here is one of the most important passages of Scripture talking about the preeminence or the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And Paul starts off by saying, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Well, who, who is Paul talking about when he says He is? Who's the He who is the image of the invisible God? If we look at the very two verses, three verses before this verse, it tells us, giving, verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of saints in light, He, the Father, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God. So the beloved Son, Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. The image of the invisible God. What does that mean? The image of the invisible God means that Jesus has perfectly revealed the being and character of God. He is God. And He perfectly reveals what the Father is like. One man says that Jesus, it says, in Him the invisible has become visible. In Him the invisible has become visible. John 1.18 says, No one has ever seen God, but God the only Son has made Him known. No one has ever seen the Father, but God the Son has made the Father known. In John 14.9, Jesus said to Philip, whoever has seen Me has seen the Father. So do you want to know what God is like? Do you want to know what the Father is like? Look at Jesus. 
Look at Jesus in Scripture. Look at Jesus in the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Look at Jesus in all of Scripture. And He reveals what the Father is like. For example, in Matthew 9.36, it says, when He saw the crowds, He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. How do we know that the Father is full of compassion? Because we see the compassion of God in Jesus. And in Mark 1, 40 and 41, it says, And a leper came to Him, imploring Him, kneeling, said to Him, Lepers were the outcasts of society. Lepers were despised. And this despised outcast comes to Jesus and says, if you will, you can make me clean. And listen to this, it says, moved with pity, He stretched out His hand and touched Him and said to Him, I will be clean. No one was allowed to touch lepers back then. To touch a leper would make you ceremonially defiled. To touch a leper was to risk catching leprosy. And Jesus, moved with pity, reached out and touched him. That's what God is like. How do we know that God the Father is moved with pity when we're suffering? Because Jesus revealed that about God. So, when we're hurting or we're sick or we're going through it, we can know that the Father is moved with pity. Because Jesus has shown us what the Father's like. So, a practical application of this would be you're praying for someone who is sick or you're praying about a situation that's hard for you that you're going through. You can say, Father, I know You are full of pity. I know You are full of compassion because Jesus has shown me that. So I'm just trusting, Lord, that You are compassionate. So please heal this person. Or please help me. Thank You, Lord, that You're a God who is full of compassion. Jesus has revealed the Father. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation in verse 15. Now, firstborn can mean one of two things. It can mean first in birth order chronologically, or the Bible often uses it and and. That's And the use of it in this passage is firstborn means having the rank, the rights, and the privileges of a firstborn son. In other words, it's the position of preeminence. So the Bible often uses firstborn to say highest in rank. So it's saying Jesus is the highest in rank of all creation. And we can see this in Psalm 89. Psalm 89 predicts the Messiah and it's talking about David and a Davidic king who would come, the Messiah who would be Jesus. And he says this in verse 20, I have found David my servant. With my holy oil I have anointed him. And then in verse 27 it says, And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. So David, he's talking about David and ultimately the Messiah He's saying, I will make Him the highest of the kings of the earth. And to, to, to describe that rank, He says, I'll make Him the firstborn. So firstborn is talking about the highest of all beings is Jesus. And Philippians 2 says that because Jesus 
humbled Himself and He didn't cling to His rights as God, though He existed forever as God, because He humbled Himself and He, he became a man and He lived a life of perfect obedience, even dying on the cross to pay for the sins of all who would come to Him. Philippians 2 says, Therefore, God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is no name higher than the name of Jesus. There is no other name of any God of any religion, Vishnu, Krishna, no other name of any religious leader who ever walked the earth, no other name compares to the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus is so high that at the mention of His name, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. God has done that. And in verse 16 it says, "...for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth." visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things, all things were created through Him and for Him. Now, if Jesus cannot be what the Jehovah's Witnesses teach, they teach He was the first created God, the first born God, that He didn't always exist. He came into existence. That's false. That's, that's false doctrine. This says... For by Him all things were created. All things. If He was the first created, then all things couldn't have been created by Him. But He's the firstborn of all creation. He's the preeminent of all creation. And by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. And it says that He created all spiritual powers, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. Thrones, dominions, and authorities, these are spiritual powers from the highest to the lowest. And we don't need to get hung up on trying to distinguish them too much. What, what Paul is saying is that every power in the universe was created by Jesus. Angels. Jesus created the angels of heaven. Jesus created Satan and He created every demon. They were originally angels who fell. So, Satan is not somehow Jesus' equal like the dark side of the force or something. Satan is a cre creature. Satan is a tiny, tiny, finite creature created by Jesus. The infinite, uncreated God. There's not even any comparison. If you're going to compare Satan to something, maybe you could compare him to an angel. But he is he's a mere creation. A man named A.W. Tozer said that we tend, we tend to think of things like being on a graduated scale. So we say, well, first there are single-cell creatures and then a little bit above them are, are insects and then a little bit above insects, there's fish and reptiles, and a little higher creature are dogs and cats. Well, I don't know, put dogs down here. Um, then, a little higher than do uh, no offense if you love dogs, I'm just, just kidding. Then, a little, bit above, uh, a little bit above dogs and cats come 
monkeys. And then above them are humans. And then a little bit above humans are angels. And a little, little bit above angels, there's God. No, A.W. Tozer says it's not like that at all. Because all these things are created. God is uncreated. God is infinite. God created them all. And so A.W. Tozer said that an angel, the highest angels in heaven, are closer in their being to a caterpillar than they are to God. That's how exalted God is above His creation. Satan is closer to a caterpillar than he is to God. Because all things were created through Him and for Him. All things were created for Him. That means for His glory, for His honor, for His praise. All things. Jesus created all things for His purposes. And all things ultimately serve Him and accomplish His will. And somehow, even wickedness, even the horrible things that happen in this world, even the things Satan and demons have done, even the, the most wicked acts, somehow, somehow Jesus will turn them all to His glory. And I don't understand this and I, don't, I can't explain how He does it, but even the most wicked act ever done, even the most wicked act, what was the most wicked act ever done in the world? The crucifixion of the innocent Son of God. If you want to say what was the most wicked sin ever committed, it was the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And think of how God used that for His glory. To save multitudes. To bring multitudes to God. To bring multitudes, millions of people all over the world to a relationship with God. The most wicked act. Jesus, because He is supreme. Because He is above all things and all things were created for Him and for His glory. Jesus takes the most wicked act and brings glory to Himself through it. Acts 4.27 and 28 says, For truly in this city there were gathered together against Your holy servant Jesus, whom You anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever Your hand and Your plan had predestined to take place. So Jesus had predestined, God had predestined even to use the wickedness of Pilate and Herod, and the Jews who betrayed Him, and the Romans. He had predestined that. He had planned to bring glory to Jesus. Because Jesus, what this is saying when it says all things are created for Him, is that Jesus is the goal of all creation. Jesus is the goal of all creation. All things exist for His honor and glory. Now, if that's the case, then we, exist for Jesus' honor and glory. We do not exist for ourselves primarily. We exist to bring glory and honor to God. I never knew that until Jesus saved me. I thought I existed to get as much as I could out of life for myself. 
We don't live for ourselves. We live for the glory of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So husbands, guys, why should you lay down your lives for your wives? For the glory of God. Wives, why should you love and care for your husbands? Bless your husbands for the glory of God. Teenagers, why should you honor your father and mother for the glory of God? Not because you like to. Not because you're doing what you want to do. We don't live for ourselves anymore when we come to Jesus. We live for the glory of God because Jesus is the goal of all creation. And all things are for Him. My life is no longer for myself. My life is for Jesus. When I was living for myself, I was not happy. And there is nothing that is more joyful, nothing more that gives you more happiness than living for Jesus. If you want to be happy, get to know Jesus and surrender your life to Him. I'm not saying it's going to always be easy and there won't be suffering and there won't be hard times and terrible things might happen, but if you want to be happy, get to know Jesus. Surrender your life to Him. I remember thinking when I was making this decision, I was in a band and I had come to this place where this, my band was playing in terrible places and, and uh, I, I knew I was going to have to quit the band and I just thought to myself, well, there goes all my fun in life. There goes all, I guess I'll be a Christian, but I won't have any fun. And then God put the thought in my mind, I believe it was God, that, hey, I created happiness. Do you think I can make you happy not being in a rock and roll band? I couldn't imagine it. But I can honestly say now, 30 years later, that Jesus Christ fills us with happiness when we live for His glory. Verse 17 says, He is before all things and in Him all things hold together. He is before all things means Jesus always existed. He was not created. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was, was God. He was in the beginning with Him. And just as Jenna says, in the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God. John is saying the same thing. In the beginning, Jesus. Jesus was there at the beginning of all things that we know. Now, every once in a while, I think about this. Every once in a while, I think, how could someone be uncreated? How could God have no beginning? How could God always have been? And after about five minutes, I say, I've got to quit thinking about this. <laughs> it is too mind-boggling. God is too far above us. God is so great. Jesus is so great, we can't fathom His greatness. We can't fathom how Jesus could have existed for all time and had no beginning. That's, that should humble us. See, we, we should be humble before God. 
This lays me in the dust before Jesus. This thinking about the fact that Jesus had no beginning. It just, it just humbles me in the dust. It shows me what an insignificant creature I am. And it makes me, it, it puts me a little bit more in my right relationship with Jesus. Oh, how can I not worship Him? How can I not look to Him who had no beginning? And it says, and in Him all things hold together. In Him all things hold together. Hebrews 1.3 says, He upholds the universe by the Word of His power. Jesus holds together every molecule, every atom, every electron. The smallest particles of our universe are held together by Jesus. If Jesus were to quit upholding the universe, it would cease to exist. The chair you're sitting on is being upheld by Jesus. Your every heartbeat is maintained by Jesus. Every breath you take. When we're sleeping at night, Jesus is maintaining our lives. Every morning we wake up, we should say, Jesus, thank You for another night's sleep. Thank You for allowing me to wake up this morning. Praise You, Lord, for sustaining my life. If Jesus Himself didn't personally sustain our lives, we would cease to exist. Jesus maintains the galaxies. Jesus maintains the, the rules of the, the laws of physics that hold the whole universe together. I just read the other day that the star named Betelgeuse, the whole orbit of the earth around the sun would fit inside that star. That's how big it is. And Jesus maintains it by the word of his power. Is He awesome or what? Awesome isn't even a good word for it. There's no words. And what is, so, what is so exciting about this to me? Is it because Jesus invites us to a personal relationship with Him, to know Him and be joined to Him personally? If Jesus upholds the universe, He will uphold our little lives, won't He? He'll take care of us. If Jesus can uphold a star that the whole earth's orbit around the sun could fit inside, if he could, if Jesus upholds all the galaxies, if Jesus upholds all of the atoms, every single atom and molecule in the universe, he can certainly take care of me. I might think, man, Lord, my, my life is complicated. I got some serious things going on. Lord, I got this situation here and this situation over here. God says, Oh boy, that was that's too much for me. Don't you realize I'm upholding Beetlejuice? You think I have time for you? No. Nothing's too hard for Jesus to uphold you. He will get you through whatever you're facing. Whatever you're facing today, 
the one who upholds the universe can get you through it. He says in Isaiah 43.2, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. It says when, not if you walk through the waters. So all of us will pass through waters. We'll pass through rivers of trials. We'll pass through fire in this life. When you pass through, through the waters though, I will be with you. And the One who maintains the waters, the One who gives fire its being, the One who upholds the universe says, I will be with you. Isn't that encouraging? Jesus, the Supreme One who is over all things, who existed before all, who upholds all, cares so much about you and me that He will be with us. And sustain us. If He can sustain the universe, He can sustain us. Now we see that Jesus is supreme not only over the whole creation, but He's supreme over His church, which is His new creation. And so in verse 18 it says, And He is the head of the body the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. In everything, God says, I'm making Jesus first in everything. He's going to be preeminent in everything. He's going to be preeminent over creation. He's going to be preeminent over my new creation, the church. And so I make Him the head of the church. And Paul uses the metaphor of the human body here. He says, He's head of the body, the church. In other words, we are organically joined to Jesus. Those of us who turn to Jesus Christ, it's not like we're signing up for a club. It's not like joining the Lions Club or something. All right, I'll join... No, when we come to Jesus and say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, change me. Rescue me. He joins us to Himself. We are organically joined to Jesus. The church is Christ's own body which He loves and cares and nourishes and protects. He cares about every part of His body. Even the smallest parts of our body. You know what? I've thought about this at times. I don't think about like my little toe hardly at all. I mean, how much time during the week do you think about your little toe? I think I'm just going to take about 15 minutes and just think about my little toe while I'm driving so as not to waste time. You know, I never think about my little toe, but as I was preparing this message, I, I thought about one time when one of, my, one of my kids was little and I was dancing barefoot in my house and I spun, I was spinning around, I slammed my little toe into the foot of the couch. And I thought about my little toe at that moment. Put my child down and was like, oh, whoa! And my whole body went to the care of my little toe wasn't like my head said, that's eh, just a little toe, it doesn't matter. No, I, I cared about my little toe and the pain I was experiencing at that moment. And I thought, that's how Jesus cares for His body. You may think, you know what, I'm the, I'm the least significant Christian there is. It doesn't matter. Jesus loves you and cares for you intensely. 
He cares for His body. It's, and I just thought, you know what? That should, that should provoke me. There should be no one that we, you and I, don't care for. There, we should care for every single member of the body. There's no insignificant Christian. There's no one that we shouldn't care for and love because Jesus does. It says He's the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning. It means He's the beginning of the church. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's the first one that rose from the dead. He, when Jesus rose from the dead, He began a new human race. The church is a new human race. It is a new humanity. And Jesus is preeminent in that. He's the supreme head of this new race. The resurrection age has begun. Someday we'll see it fully manifested. And Jesus is the firstborn from the dead so that even in the church, so that in everything He might be preeminent. And that's what church is all about. It's about Jesus being preeminent. We don't come to church on Sundays just so we can learn how to be successful in life. We don't come to church just so we can learn what we're supposed to do. Although, there are things that the Bible tells us to do, but that's not our our primary focus. It's Jesus. Jesus. That's why we sing songs about Jesus. We want Him to be preeminent because He's the firstborn from the dead. He rose from the dead and has created this new humanity. I read this once about a group of American Christians in the 19th century planned to visit London for a week. And their friends, excited for the opportunity, encouraged them to go hear two of London's famous preachers and bring back a report. On Sunday morning after their arrival, the Americans attended a man named Joseph Parker's church. And they discovered his reputation for eloquent oratory was well deserved. And one exclaimed after the service, I do declare, it must be said, for there is no doubt that Joseph Parker is the greatest preacher that ever there was. And the group wanted to return in the evening to hear Parker again, but they remembered their friends would ask them about another preacher named Charles Spurgeon. So on Sunday evening, they attended the Metropolitan Tabernacle where Spurgeon was preaching. The group was not prepared for what they heard, and as they departed, one of them again spoke up, I do declare, (laughs) it must be said, for there is no doubt that Jesus Christ is the greatest Savior that ever there was. That's what church is all about. You know, when, when people come here, I don't want them walking away saying, man, that was the greatest worship team I ever saw, even though I personally believe we have that. I don't want, I don't want people walking away saying, man, that is the nicest building. Man, they serve the best coffee in the world. Whatever it might be. Man, that preacher, whatever. I don't want that. I want people to say, I do declare, it must be said, for there is no doubt that Jesus Christ is the greatest Savior that ever there was. That's what I want people to say about our church. Yes, I want, I want people to say, what a great Savior. That's what I want people to say. I know you want that too. And so, 
Psalm 115, verse 1 says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to Your name give glory. That's, that's why we gave and we still give to this building fund. Not to us, but to Your name give glory. Lord Jesus, save more and more people. Bring more and more people to know what a great Savior You are. That You are preeminent. And so is this Your desire? Is it that Jesus be preeminent? If our desire, I was thinking about this, if, if our desire is that Jesus be supreme in His church, then we shouldn't care who gets promoted above us as long as Jesus is glorified. We shouldn't care if someone has greater gifts than us as long as Jesus is glorified. We shouldn't be envious of others as long as Jesus is glorified. When we're seeking to work out our conflicts with one another, we shouldn't seek to work out our conflicts so that I can be vindicated, but I want to do all I can that Jesus would be glorified. That's why we, we try to look at our relationships. That's why in, in, in marriages, in our marriages, we're not trying to like see who's right and who's going to win. We should have the attitude, I want Jesus to be glorified in my marriage. Well, Jesus is supreme in reconciliation. Oh man. <laughs> I only have 30 more pages. <laughs> it says verse 19 for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross reconcile reconciliation has to do with things that are estranged people that are estranged when when the first man sinned it estranged the human race from god have you ever been estranged from anyone? Have you ever been unreconciled with anyone? It's a horrible thing. It's a horrible feeling to not be reconciled to someone, to be estranged from someone. You see him in you see him in the supermarket, and you you just want to go to another aisle. You you, you, you don't you hear they're going to be somewhere, and you you don't want to be there because you're you're estranged. There's this this you're you're at enmity with one another, and that's what happened when we sinned. We became estranged from God. The whole creation, in, in fact, became estranged from God. That's why it says that he was going, He's going to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. And even the heavenly realms, to a degree, have been estranged from God because that's the realm in which spirits reign, in which demons reign. The thrones and rulers and authority, the, the heavenly realms in a sense, are unclean to a degree because of, of the, the spiritual realm. And so Jesus says, I'm going to clean it all and I'm going to reconcile it all. And so, when Jesus shed His blood on the cross, it says He make by making peace by the blood of the cross. And first and foremost, He made peace between us and God. Not between all people, but whoever would come to God through Jesus Christ. Whoever would come to Jesus and say, I'm a sinner. I'm not at peace with God. 
but I'm coming and I'm asking that what Jesus did in shedding his blood would apply to my life. I want to be at peace with you, God. And I'm only doing it. I'm only coming through Jesus and what he did. If you do that, if you say something like that to God, you will no longer be estranged from God. Jesus came that we might, he might bring us to God as God's friends. And it's not only going to affect us, it not only affects us, but someday the whole creation will be at peace with God. Because in Romans 8, 19 through 23, it says, the creation. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That's because of what Jesus is going to do. Someday, there won't be any more sickness. There won't be any more sin. There won't be any more tragedies because the whole creation will be at peace with God. And you say, is is Satan even included in this? How about people who reject God? They will be at peace with God in the sense that God's peace will be enforced upon them. His punishment, His justice will be enforced upon them and righteousness will reign and justice will be fulfilled. Have you ever seen shows where a family member, someone murders a family member and they, and they say, until that man is convicted and punished, there can be no peace for this family. And until Satan is punished and until all who reject Jesus are punished, there will be no final peace. But Jesus will reconcile all who turn to Him and they will have peace with God. And Jesus will reconcile in, in that sense the whole of creation. It says, it says that He will create a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And the most amazing reconciliation is the one He did with us. And so in verse 21 it says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. What This is incredible. Because we were alienated in mind. We hated God. We were hostile in mind, it says. And then, because of what He did on the cross, He will present us holy and blameless and above reproach. I don't know about you, but when I think about standing before Jesus, I often think, well, God's going to say, Mark, you weren't the greatest husband. You know that. And Mark, look at all these things. Look at all these ways you blew it as a dad. Mark, man, you could have been a whole lot better pastor. And I, I tend to think about those things, but then I remember, no, because of the blood of Jesus, He will present me blameless and holy and above reproach before God. And that is true of you. And that is the way God sees us now through the blood of Jesus. Do you believe that? If we believe that, we should come to God and pray and praise Him and thank Him. He's reconciled. Reconciled. What a word. Reconciled. And then, 
I just want to go to this to verse 23. In light of all Jesus is and all He's done for us, here's what He calls us to to be faithful. He says, if indeed, if indeed, He's going to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the Gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. We are called by God to persevere, to be faithful, to keep going, and not shift from the hope of the Gospel. And sadly, over the years, there, there have been individuals that, that looked like they were responding to Jesus. They seemed like they were saved. I thought they were saved. And then somehow they don't continue and they shift from the hope of the Gospel and they begin to put their hope in other things. And recently one person who seemed like they were genuinely following Jesus said, you know, I, I believe there's many ways to God now. They shifted from the hope of the Gospel. They shifted from hoping in the blood of Jesus. They shifted. And I thought, you know, the word shift is an interesting word. It's not like a total rejection, uh, at least on the surface. Shift is just kind of a move. I'm just kind of moving in this direction. It happens gradually. And what God is saying is we need to persevere to the end. Believing in Jesus, clinging to Jesus, holding to Jesus, fighting the good fight of faith. And we can only do this by the power of Jesus. And He will help us do this. But it doesn't matter how you start. It matters how you finish. If we went to a race and the horse came busting out of the gate and the horse is just peeling out ahead, you know, out in front of everybody else, and then that horse just kind of petered out before the end of the race and every other horse passed it, would we say, I know it finished last, but wow, did it have a great start. No. It doesn't matter how we start. It doesn't matter if you, if you started out like gangbusters if you don't persevere to the end. It won't matter. And so, let us seek to... Let us seek to keep Jesus preeminent all the days of our lives. Let's have the band come up and let's stand and let's pray. Oh Lord Jesus, right now our minds are just reeling. They are so packed full of what we've seen in this passage. Lord, we just want to proclaim You are the greatest Savior that ever there was. We want to proclaim You are exalted above all. And Jesus, my prayer would be that You would help us all to persevere to the end. Lord, help those right now, in, in, in right now, those of our, our number who are weary, Lord, and discouraged, would You help them? Would You help them to persevere to the end? Lord, those who feel like giving up, would You help them right now? And Lord, would You fill us all with awe for You and joy for You? We ask this, Lord, because You're the goal of all creation. You're the goal of all things, and we want to glorify You. In Your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.